will get three hours of sleep a night, and I will read this book, yes. and I will do it before tomorrow. Yes, such aspirational goals. And I will so. run five miles every day. <laughs> and I will marry you all when you've done that. <laughs> oh, well, we can't talk or uh, look at each other until then. Okay. Podcast canceled. It's going to make for a terrible podcast where we can't talk to each other. Welcome to the Trade Waiters. We are not actually canceling this podcast. Uh, <laughs> Despite speak the words. for yourself. Best in, you know, the no, best you're not allowed to quit. Never. <laughs> Your life depends on this podcast. Oh, man. Well, I mean, I just, it's important that you guys all know that um, me and Kathleen agreed that we want to be famous podcasters. And we're going to inspire each other to be the best podcasters we can be. And if we both become famous podcasters, we're going to get married. <laughs> She just said she was going to marry all of us. <laughs> I don't want to be limited to just one spouse. I like to keep, keep your my options, options open. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, that'd just be a crazy deal to go into, right? Yeah. <laughs> I okay. just, but I can't stress enough that you just don't talk to or have any contact with the person you're going to marry. <laughs> all right. So, in case our uh, subtweeting here has not clued you into what we're doing, we are reading Bakuman. This is our Bakumanathon. Bakumanathon! Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> 2K16. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Angela, do you want to tell us about Bakuman? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, this is a manga series. We are reading the first four books. It was serialized between 2008 and 2012, and it ultimately has 20 volumes total. But we'll only be doing the first four. So the first podcast will cover books one and two, and the next podcast will cover books three and four. Uh, so Bakuman, it's written by Tsugumi Oba, and the artist is Takeshi Obata. And most people will know this duo from their breakout smash hit series Death Note, uh, which was serialized before this. I think uh, I've heard of that book. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> might ring a bell for some people. Uh Excellent, excellent work. And Obata uh, was also responsible for Hikaru no Go before that. Which I've actually seen. I have a copy of Shonen Jump that I acquired at some point, And it has, like, I didn't realize this until uh, at some point in one of these volumes it mentions his other, his previous work. And I was like, oh, I've seen that one. That was in Shonen Jump. Yeah. I, I had a friend who was obsessed with the game Go. And then he found out there was a manga about the game Go, and became <laughs> obsessed with that. And I haven't read it myself, but apparently the Go strategy holds up in hmm. the manga. Uh -huh. Like, the moves, if you play Go, you're like, wow, that's a really good Go move. <laughs> well, I can't speak for the Go, but I've read uh, Hikaru no Go, and mm -hmm. it's actually a really compelling series, despite being basically a manga about chess. So, uh, oh, Go is way better than chess. I know, I know. So even more complicated than chess, but basically moving blocks. That's the whole foundation of the anime. Yeah. Uh, also, one of them's a ghost. Very boring but, draw, I can imagine. Well, you would think. There's just like this... It's not, though, because it's it's the same... Uh, the same kind of subgenre of like extreme mundaneness that oh, okay. so like what's Yakitate Japan is another perfect example of this, where it's a really really extreme anime about baking bread, right? <laughs> and it's it's a anyway, uh, Hikaru no Go, awesome manga that is also worth checking out. But the point is, this team is already established as a dynamic duo uh, before releasing Bakuman, so this one ended up becoming the seventh best-selling manga series of 2011. So it was a smash wow. success. And it was also nominated for the uh, Manga Taisho Award in 2010. It has since gone on to become an anime and a live-action film, and I've seen the live-action film. It's not bad. It's a pretty good adaptation, despite mm. compressing most of the story down into two hours. Mm. And the duo has started another series in 2015 called Platinum End, which I think I might be trying to find myself. Do you know what that one's about? I don't yet, but I want to. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a platinum and for sand, clearly. Yeah, uh, the you can't platinum, tell platinum end. by their titles. <laughs> well, I guess with the the one about Go, you can. Yeah, Bakuman. They had a they had a a note about what this title means, 
And uh, so, yeah, Takashi Obata says, the title of this manga is Bakuman. It means Bakuhatsu, explosion, Bakuchi, gamble, and Baku, which is an animal that supposedly eats dreams. <laughs> so, very As logical title. <laughs> In the history, I think of a lot of pun, punny kind of Japanese titles, but the point is, Bakuman is a story about manga. It's kind of been told as a love letter to the manga industry in Japan as it currently is. I think it also can be read as a cautionary tale about <laughs> manga, but mm -hmm. it's a really deep dive and a real detailed and realistic exploration of what it's really like to create manga, in particular in the industry in Japan. And as a manga, or not a manga, as a cartoonist, Obviously, this is a subject that is really interesting to me. It gets really deep mm -hmm. and granular, and so I thought it was a really interesting work to explore. Uh, you know what we forgot to do? We forgot to do our character-revealing question. Yeah, all of that was pretty introductory, so it's probably okay. time for that. So we should probably go into who the heck all of us are anyway. <laughs> uh, so I wrote down a character-revealing question, so you can introduce yourself and answer the question. And the question is, do you have any family members, and we can extend that to, or family friends, who were in the business of comics or art while you were growing up. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. Sure, so I'm Jeff Ellis, and uh, yeah, I actually have several relatives that uh, were painters. And it's actually really funny because my whole life growing up, uh, when I was drawing, my parents would always be like, I don't know where he gets it from. Like, this just, <laughs> this just came out of nowhere. Why does he keep drawing? This is so weird. And then, like, I found a bunch of my mom's old, like, like sketchbooks and canvases from when she was in high school. So my mom used to doodle all the time. She'd just draw. Wow. Like, uh, she didn't draw with a purpose. She'd just doodle. But she did all these drawings when she was in high school that I've seen. Uh, my grandmother was a huge Bob Ross fan, used to paint all the time to Bob Ross videos. And then I found out later that her brother actually was an aspiring painter. And he, it's kind of a sad story though, because he had an opportunity to be an instructor at a design and art school in Seattle. And his wife did not want to make the move to Seattle. She wanted to stay in Vancouver. And all of her brothers were Vancouver police officers. And so if that job was good enough for her brothers, it would be good enough for her husband. So he stayed in Vancouver and became a Vancouver police officer and painted in his spare time and was never really happy about that. <laughs> and so when, uh, when I was at the lowest point in my career search and I was going to be a security guard, my grandmother phoned me in a panic, just like, you cannot do this job. You have to keep drawing. Like, don't, don't compromise don't don't take this other job. Like you have to keep drawing. Don't be like she didn't say this, but like I found out later, is essentially like don't be like my brother. Like follow your art. Um, and yeah, it was like really interesting to find out. And uh, I've actually inherited one of my uncle's paintings that I keep uh, in my bedroom, and just kind of remind myself like where I come from artistically. Nice. Yeah. So cool. top that, guys. <laughs> oh. That's a good origin story. That's a good one. That has, like, so many levels and parallels. I like that. Um, I'm Kathleen Gross, but I will also just make an aside. I am changing my name professionally. I'm going by K. Gross now, not Kathleen Gross. So okay. I've changed it on, on my social media. It's, just, like, just subtle. I just don't like using my full name professionally. But, so, yeah, that's why if you look at any of my stuff, it doesn't say Kathleen anymore. That's not me professionally. Shoot, but we refer to you as um, K in the podcast. No, you can say my name; it's okay. fine. But I just want it like written K cross, okay. okay. lowercase, one word. Sure. Ah. Um, I don't think anyone in my family is artistic. Um, I mean, my mom drew a bit, but not like hugely. No, the red inside though. I was gonna get okay. to that, you jerk. <laughs> um, Spoiling your origin story. Yeah, my mom's a freelance freelance writer who has um, written a young adult novel. So yeah, like I definitely grew up surrounded by someone who was writing all the time, but uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, that's all right. Awesome. <laughs> all right, uh, my name is Jonathan Dalton, and I don't, uh, well, my father is a art education professor at UVic. He's retiring in like less than a year at this point, but so he's an artist and he does art in his spare time and he teaches uh, art-related things, but uh, I've feel like I have a stronger emotional connection to uh, his father uh, and because his father was a freelance musician and I've never actually met 
uh, my grandfather because he died when uh, when my dad was a kid. And, but the stories that I've heard seem very familiar to life as a freelance artist, where he had several jobs. He would do uh, music on the radio. He would uh, teach music lessons. All these sort of bits and pieces of jobs that when you add them up together, you can afford to buy a house and raise a family and all this kind of stuff. But nothing that was ever very stable, uh, which I think probably ended badly when he uh, contracted polio. And I'm not sure what his savings were like at that point or... Uh, whether he had any kind of pension or medical plan or anything like that. Or in, actually, I don't even know what the state of Canada's healthcare was at this point. This would have been in the uh, the 60s. So I think, like, from that point of view, maybe this is sort of a tragic story, a cautionary tale for, for freelancing in general. But uh, nevertheless, like two generations on, here I am trying to make it as an artist, so... <laughs> Despite right. it all. Yeah. Uh, great. So I'm Angela Mellick, and I think it's interesting that I don't have any commercial artists in my family, but I do have some fine artists. So no one was a writer, but my mother has her BFA, and my aunt is also a fine artist who has had her work shown in galleries and continues to have her work shown in galleries uh, in Massachusetts. So she's had a really long career in abstract painting. So similar to you, Jeff, no one drew, but everyone was a painter, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And so my mom, she uh, sculpts, and she does a lot of mixed-media paintings, and she continues to paint as well. So she was an art teacher for a while, but primarily just painting on her own as a housemaker. So I also learned later in life that my great-grandmother also painted. She was accepted into the Cooper Union in New York. Wow. Which is a really prestigious art school in New York, but hmm. maybe back then it wasn't, I don't know. But <laughs> it's just kind of a weird thing where she, uh, you know, she was accepted into the Cooper Union and she had like these huge stacks of life drawings. And then we're like, Grandma, how come we didn't know any, uh, anything about this? She's like, well, I got married and that was the end of that Oh, kind of deal, right? And that's just uh, the way it was. That old story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it did pass on. So my, my aunt and my mother, both artists. Yeah, right on. Yeah. Good question. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, very topical. So the reason that we're bringing this up, of course, is that it's a central theme or key plot point in Bakuman, uh, which opens and we find out that the main character's uncle was a mangaka. Mm -hmm. wrote a series in Shonen Jump. and But when the series opens, it's very interesting because due to the fate of his uncle, uh, whose name is Nobuhiro, the protagonist, Moritaka, has decided he will never become a manga artist. It's just a dead-end career, and it will not right. be the career for him. Well, his uncle definitely had a tragic <laughs> career. Like, yeah. I felt like the whole story of his uncle was like this cautionary tale of like, why you should never be a cartoonist. But I really liked this <laughs> setup, because I, I think a lot of people go into wanting to draw comics, and it's a total pipe dream. And the fact that they started with this really realistic and tragic tale at the center of the main character's history, I felt it was a really interesting contrast that they were able to keep going back to. Mm. Yeah, actually I feel like uh, of all the various manga artists that we see in the series, the uncle is the one that I feel the closest affinity to. Yeah. Like, I, could, I could see... Okay. <laughs> no, but, but like, his, the stuff that he's done, he's had some success. He's not, like, a, a, a comics genius or anything. He's not, a, like, a big-time star or whatever. He's made a go of it. He uh, accomplished some things. Um, but, yeah, I, I, can see, I can see reflections of that. That's... You, you have our phone numbers, right, John? You'll call us. <laughs> Things get really dark. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, no, I think I think that his uncle's story I, I could definitely relate to, and it was definitely the most, I don't know, yeah, plausible, like it yeah. felt like a very, like a common story about a cartoonist, a struggling cartoonist, uh, except for the, the romance angle, which is like, <laughs> we can have a whole other side discussion about all that, but... Um, yeah, we gotta get to that at some point. <laughs> for now, just focusing on the cartooning, yeah, the uncle's, his sort of, yeah, his story was... I think a common story and it was an interesting way to give motivation to the the main character right that like psycho wants to 
succeed ultimately in in some ways to like succeed where his uncle failed and that like gives him this extra like drive yeah but um, it, it also kind of demonstrates the cliff like he, it's a there's real danger in pursuing this career and he's going in it with his eyes probably way more open than most people mm-hmm. most of his peers yeah. would yeah well I, I like that his uncle calls cartooning gambling and mm-hmm. so like when psycho I don't know, i'm just gonna keep using his nickname yeah uh, when psycho starts his manga career he's He's basically keeps reminding like the writer and everyone around him like this is just gambling this is gambling like this may not pay off like we're just gambling uh, which I thought yeah he's definitely got like his feet on the ground when he's approaching this um, I'm not sure I agree <laughs> with that assessment of his character given the choices he makes along the way no maybe 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 later he starts to get a little ungrounded but I think like the initial beginning was like okay. he's not deluding himself at the start maybe his like end goal is not a reasonable end goal but like to, his choice to begin as a manga artist i think was a reasonable okay. decision yeah <laughs> so we're we gonna i guess um we should talk about what we thought of the book yeah absolutely uh my opinion of the series changed as i read the different volumes because the first book i was like Ugh, i hate this it took me so long to get into it wasn't an enjoyable read <laughs> And I was just like, oh boy, this is a genre I think I have outgrown. Like, this sort of um, very extreme, kind of one-dimensional characters to a certain extent. But um, as the series progressed, um, like, we'll get into this later, but by volume four, I was definitely more into it. But, like, Mm -hmm. volume one, the whole sort of weird romance angle, I was like, I could leave this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't need this. So that being said, there were, like, things in the first volume that, like, I have bookmarks in that, like, I enjoyed. Like, um, one of the things that really took me by surprise was that the writers storyboard and then give it to the artist. I had no idea. And I think that's actually, like, a pretty amazing way to go about collaborating having the writer not only just write a script and hand it off to the artist which seems to be sort of the um yeah that's kind of process in america and north america but to have the writer like even just draw like a crappy storyboard or whatever just something um like there's one speech balloon where the artist um mashiro yeah mashiro um, he says that, like, uh, you have to create a storyboard that fits your story. If you're just going to give me a bunch of sentences and tell me that's the story, then you should become a novelist or team up with somebody else instead. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you need to storyboard. <laughs> this has to happen. This is how it goes. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting, like, division of labor. And it makes you be like, oh, man, I'm not teaming up with a writer if they're not going <laughs> to storyboard <Yeah>. at least. <laughs> fun, fun fact, that's how me and Jonathan do teaching English in Japan. Yeah, except we're both the writers on it. So we mm-hmm. story do the storyboard stage together. Yeah. No, because, I, I, I mean, it's such, like, an important, like, part of the writing process. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not done writing until, like, the thumbnails are done or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, it seems like, yeah, that should be a more collaborative, or at least if I were to collaborate with a person in the future, I definitely want to incorporate that into the process. And what's fun about this edition is that at the end of every chapter, they actually uh, expose the process that went into creating Bakuman, and so they'll have the the storyboards Mm -hmm. and the uh, thumbnails that went into each I think that was one of my favorite parts of this series, was looking at the storyboards and the thumbnails between the the books, or between the chapters, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I loved Uh, seeing that. That was really fun to see the process. In fact, I would say, like, the more it got into comic process, the more it got into the manga process, the manga industry process, that, Mm -hmm. I would agree, I felt like, Kathleen, that's when my interest really started to go up. My notes for, like, book one is, like, it's page 141 and they still haven't drawn a damn comic. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely part of my frustration going in. It's, like, one of my pet peeves is people who say they're going to do things and never actually do them. And it's, like, maybe not fair for me to get upset with people about this, but I'm just, like, do the dang thing. Like, all the time you're spending talking about it, you could just do it and then it would be done and out there. (laughs) Your dreams, your dreams. Yeah. So, like... It's like, man, this is taking a really long time for them to drop the dang comic when they could just sit down and do it. I don't know, man. Yeah. Well, this is, I mean, this kind of comes back to one of one of the other sticking points I had with Volume 1, which was, like, I guess I'll use the, the proper name. So Takagi, the writer, like, basically just walks up to Mashiro and is like, hey, you should draw a manga with me. And Mashiro's like, 
why me? And to, you know, to guys like you, I just been watching you. You draw in your book really good. I think you'd draw really well. We'd make a good team. And so he convinces Mashiro, and then he's like, sure, I guess we'll make a manga together. And then Takagi's like, yeah, I guess I should write a story now. Like, <laughs> it's like, you, I don't know, that was something that really bothered me, is the way that both characters seemed to have nothing to say. Like, they didn't have any stories or ideas they wanted to express. They're just like, yeah, well, we're going to be the best manga team ever. <laughs> now we should decide what we're going to do. <laughs> that was something that, like, I definitely was thinking about throughout all four volumes is that like everybody in these these all these characters who are trying to become manga artists like their motivation is I want to get published I want to have an anime made of this thing that I made which is just so separate from perhaps the way that I consider my mm-hmm. own work and like my own aspirations which are like I feel like I have things to say and there are things that I don't see in the world that I want to put out there and, like, find a connection with someone through story. Yeah. Definitely. Um, So one of the things... Sorry, John. One of the things that jumped out at me as I was rereading this work was how competitive and adversarial the whole manga system seems to be set up to be, at least in this portrayal. So there's a lot of emphasis on rankings. There's a lot of emphasis on, like, getting in the right magazine and getting published and winning awards. And it all seems like a very zero-sum games. So people approach this this career, and I think it's... One of the big differences is that manga, manga artist has a career, probably has a much higher profile than cartoonist does here. So whereas people are like, should I draw a comic? I don't know, what do I really have to say? In, in a more manga-centric culture, it's like, this is a career I have to... It's like joining the NBA, you know? <laughs> like, I have to train, I have to combat, I have to get the good rankings, I have to break in... Mm-hmm. And uh, so the story that you want to tell is kind of incidental. It's the story that the readers want to read, which is more central. Right, right. Like I say that um, uh, I found the first, especially the start of the story, very frustrating, the, the choices that the characters made. But I think a lot of that comes down to their age. Mm-hmm. They're in middle school. Middle school kids don't have anything to say. <laughs> right. Right. So it makes sense that they're, they're just, they've decided, oh, I'm going to be a comic artist. Okay, sure, let's do that. And then they try and don't do a fantastic job at it. Like, I could believe that. And I think back to the type of stuff that I drew and wrote in middle school or high school, it was garbage. <laughs> and I think I got maybe probably less than a dozen pages done during all of high school. Yeah. Because I, like, I was going to be a comic artist, but like, I wasn't actually drawing comic pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm very lucky that uh, all of my early comic work was pre-internet, so there's no record. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, like, squeaked in under that. Like, the yeah. internet was there, but it's not like today where it's super easy. So, like, yeah. the 60-page epic I made when I was 13 <laughs> never sees the <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, so like, I think the um, it was frustrating to read that, but I, I didn't, at least I didn't see it as unrealistic. Hmm. See, that's really interesting, because I think I came to this work with a different perspective. I didn't, I I think I fell into this work immediately the second I picked it up. Uh, And I think probably knowing that this is the team behind Death Note, I could only imagine armies and armies of middle schoolers coming up to the team that created Death Note and going, please, tell me, how do you break into the industry? I want to become a cartoonist. Tell me how it's done. Tell me all your secrets. And they're like, fine. You know what? <laughs> Fine. And then they wrote Bakuman. And right. it's kind of a textbook on right. everything that's horribly wrong with going into this right. industry. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and I, it, it comes down to this, like, it starts with these stupid middle schoolers who want to, yeah. you know, go and right. get into manga. And they have no idea what they're doing, yeah. so they just flounder around I, for a while. Like, there were actually a lot of payoffs <laughs> in the third and fourth volumes that we'll get to next episode mm. that I felt... <laughs> made the frustration early on worth it. Because, okay, this isn't what the writers are saying, this is what these dumb characters think. Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it definitely picked up for... It, yeah, that kind of stuff picked up in, in the later volumes, for sure. I did kind of enjoy that they glossed over the setting up the art studio by just um, having Mashiro's family say, like, oh, we've actually kept your uncle's studio preserved in museum <laughs> quality. Uh, here's a key... Go to this room, and there will be a desk set up with screen tinting and ink and reference photos 
and guidebooks on how to do manga and just use that. Yeah. So you you got to have a good setting, though, right? <laughs> if, uh, if it was a more realistic setting, you'd have them, like, hanging out in their bedroom, sitting um, yeah. in a position that's going to give them back problems later yes. in life, drawing on a sketch pad. Yeah. That doesn't make for <laughs> yeah. good art. Yes. No, no. It was, yeah, like... I'm not. I'm not meaning that as a criticism. <laughs> I thought that was kind of a, because they set up the uncle already. I thought it was kind of clever that they're just like, you know what? You can just inherit your uncle's <laughs> studio, and then we don't have to worry about how these teenagers get access to a comic studio. They just you you like MacGuffin one in, and then now away we go making yeah. manga. Get into manga. <laughs> we don't have to waste time with like, buying art supplies, which is like, thank God they didn't spend time buying art supplies, or this would be like. <laughs> By volume three, they started drawing comics or something. <laughs> Pretty awful. <laughs> yeah, the, the competitiveness, though, was a bit much. I really enjoyed these comics. They were a lot of fun, but, man, guys, just take it easy. It's not, it's not that big a deal. Uh, you know, see, like, one, one thing I kept thinking as I was reading this is um, it kept making me think about Japan. Uh, not just because, like, a lot of the story actually takes place really close to the head office of my school that oh. I used to teach at. Uh, so, like, I know Hachioji really well. So when they talk about characters living in Hachioji, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know Hachioji. But, like, just the demeanors of the characters. Like, this, I will do my best, and if I don't do my best, I will, like, die of shame, is, like, such a Japanese uh, approach to things. It's like you always are competing with people you're always trying to like attain the best and if you don't do your best you're you're just like suicidally depressed like that's just part of the 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 culture there and so it kind of yeah reminded me of that and honestly like i kind of found sometimes i was reading this going like yeah and that's why i left that's why i couldn't live there anymore because i didn't like that aspect of the culture uh, and a lot of the stuff with the dating uh, related to things about Japan that I didn't like that made me leave, leave Japan as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, which, so perhaps yeah, we can yeah. move on to the the romance aspect, which okay. uh, definitely has a big part to play in the setup of this book. Uh, and in general, I think I will say that one of the biggest failings of this work, it's probably the biggest reservation that I have recommending it, despite the fact that I enjoy it so much, is that it suffers from what I've come to term as gender garbage. It just has a lot of gender garbage, which just means that there's a lot of things that make me roll my eyes or just I do not agree with the portrayal or it takes me out of it and makes me angry. Two-dimensional, you know, female characters or female characters that are other rele- otherwise relegated to roles I don't like, and this whole romance thing is a mess. It's a mess, and I, I don't like yeah, it at should all. Yeah, should we kind of... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Japan suffers from what I would call gender garbage, and so that's definitely reflected in the romance. Yeah. Uh, do you want to elaborate on uh, <laughs> Kathleen's... Well, <laughs> I mean, um, two of the characters, like the main guy decides that he's in love with this girl, but they're not going to speak to each other or see each other, like, in person until they've both achieved their dreams, and his dream is to become this manga artist, and her dream is to become a voice actress, ideally on the show, that will be made from his manga. I think Um, I know how this manga ends, but... (laughs) And when they have both achieved their dreams, they will get married. Yeah. Um, And then... There's a second love story that is a little less weird, but... um, (laughs) Also garbage. (laughs) To be be fair, the the characters, uh, the other characters, apart from uh, Muritaka and uh, Mizuki, all tell them that they're weird. Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's it's not like a normal thing, but it is is like, whatever. But then um, the writer and the voice actress's best friend kind of get together, and... um, she, the best friend, I'm sorry, Miyoshi. I'm so bad at yeah, names. Miyoshi, Miyoshi uh, decides that she's going to have a dream, and her dream's kind of like, well, that's, wishy-washes that's around. That's the second episode. We'll okay, we'll episode. talk about that yeah. in the second episode, but, but just but know that Miyoshi, I'm upset. <laughs> yeah, no, Miyoshi is... I, okay, I really liked Miyoshi, but Me I think... This series continually does her a disservice every time she walks on yes. camera, but yeah. she's an awesome character. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to put it. Where like I I like Miyoshi as a character, but she's mishandled, and yeah. uh, and I feel like it's funny because you can't really have an accurate portrayal of the manga industry in Japan without 
really problematic gender garbage in it, maybe, <laughs> because it's uh, very no, emblematic no. of it. But it's yes. not really addressed. It's not. No, it's yeah. not. It's well, what's well, what's the term that is, they use? That it's not satire that... if you're not actually making a statement about it. Yeah, 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 you, yeah. you just like perpetuate. I don't yeah, know. you're yeah. just well, repeating it. Well, this yeah. is the thing. Like, it, are, are this you is or perpetuating? this is this is like an accurate representation of a very like male dominated culture that is not and is written by people that are not questioning that, and the characters that are written by these people are not questioning that. Like, this is just the way the world is. For these people, yeah, See, I would disagree actually a little bit. Hmm. Uh, I think this is a, a lot of this should rest on Oba and Obata hmm. uh, because I think Death Note suffered from this a little bit too, where there's only hmm. one female character in that whole story, and uh, I feel like maybe I didn't recognize some of the gender garbage just because it's a single character, and so she is herself rather than uh, noticing that all the other female characters in this story seem to have some of the same traits. So I don't know. I think I think a lot of this rests with the with the creators rather than the place they come from. Mm. Okay, so like I know this is volume three, but it just like Kay. ties into this. There's like one panel that I specifically bookmarked because I was like I can't tell if they're being self-critical or not. <laughs> but um, Miyoshi is talking to Mashiro, and um, she says, "Don't you need help with how a girl feels?" And Mashiro says, uh, it's a boy's manga, so we just need to come up with a boy's idealization of a girl. Yeah, it's so like, funny, because it's, it's that, just on that line. Is like, that do critical not, or not? Do, like, can you not hear what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. like, that kind of sums up like how I feel. Like, unless, so, unless there's some kind of big payoff in like volume 19 or 20, I think that that's not satire. Because so, I feel like they have like the potential to be really interesting characters. Yeah, so there are a few things that I feel are done well with the female mm-hmm. characters in this book. Uh, for example, Miho has... A lot of potential to be very well. She's not very well fleshed out, and she does enter into this questionable, very chaste relationship pact or a suicide marriage <laughs> pact, maybe I don't know, with the main character. But what's really interesting to me about Mio is that she does have her own dream, mm-hmm. and occasionally you will come back to Miho and touch on her career as a voice actress. And what I like about it is that it shows a different reflection of what I feel is the foundational theme of the work, which is sometimes your dream job isn't really all that great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the dream careers kind of suck in a lot of ways. Especially if you're going to be uh, a female voice actress in Japan. Yeah. Boy, there's some sucky stuff you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. You'd think that voice actresses wouldn't have the same problems as actors. I don't know, but I guess that's well, not the case. Uh, I guess I just don't know that. Well, she, it's part she, of the, uh, the whole otaku she, culture. She though. clearly got her voice acting job for her looks. Right. right? They established that very it's early on. sense. They don't see your well, they You're do. They publicize it. Sense. Okay. Yeah, she, they have the actual voice actresses do a song and dance at the end of the <laughs> anime, right? So they yeah. actually see them on camera, yeah. so they have to be photogenic as well as have good voices. Yeah, it, it's just weird, but they like, do. It's it's all awful, but all of this makes perfect sense to me. Like I'm okay. like, yep, this is all things that I experienced in the two and a half years I was there. This is the way it is. Like, uh, there's also another interesting aspect to this, which is Mio's mom... Hmm. was actually oh, in the same kind of weird relationship so with the uncle. Up. But what I like about it is that it also serves as a cautionary tale. Right. Because this gets strung along, so the uncle and the mother pass love notes back and forth for years and years and years as you know the uncle is progressing throughout his careers. And then at a certain point, Miyuki, who is uh, Mio's mom, is just like, hey, so um, I married a doctor. <laughs> day this has been fun yeah. but you know yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna move on with my life yeah. let's be real yeah and that's about when the uncle dies yeah. <laughs> yeah. no and, and I, I do i do appreciate that uh miho's mom is is basically like says to miho like yeah i i did this with a guy and it didn't really work out like that's maybe that's try talking to him sorry but, yeah if you're gonna get on sorry. me for talking about later sorry, things, you sorry. need to get on Jeffrey. Okay. <laughs> sorry sorry um that is some real gender garbage <laughs> <laughs> I, I called you both out. Um, sorry, sorry. Okay. Anyways, but no, but okay, so in book one or two, they first meet the mom, and like it's the whole scene where one. they meet, 
The mom is gender garbage. They're like, oh, well, you're, her, she looks so good for like being an older lady. That's a good sign. That means Miho will look great when she's old yeah. as well. Wow, 42-year-olds look so young these days. Maybe this is what Azuki will look like 28 years from now? Not bad at all, but I don't think I want her to cur- curl her hair like that. Uh-huh. Like, does the artist just not know how to draw older women? Or any different women. Like, so a lot of the women characters in this book suffer from serious same face. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, which, I mean, like, it's manga, yeah. but he has no problem drawing a wide variety of faces. Oh, yeah, like it's, I was going to point out, like, how different all the faces are. Um, like, definitely for the the guys, way more than the girls. But yeah. yeah. Like I, the love, editor, I love, I love the Nobuhiro. I yeah. love that he's no kind of like this him. gremlin appearance, yeah. and mm-hmm. I love Akira, uh, yeah. Hattori. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's, like, a lot of gender <laughs> garbage in this series that was a problem. Um, yeah, so let's not... We're not... But, okay. but like, yeah. maybe uh, getting on... We're to, not ignoring should it. We, <laughs> all right, so... The other character you meet in, I think, volume one or two it's is Ag. Yeah, Ag. Oh, Ag's so great. Now, I my note, AG. my first note on Ag though is most punchable. <laughs> oh yeah, no! He showed up, and I was like, I hate him. <laughs> oh boy! Ag really grew on me. So at the first, yeah, what he's supposed sorry. to do though. He's, I, you're supposed to want to punch him. I will have. Like, yeah, he's not so bad. Yeah. In the next episode, I'll have different opinions about Ag. Okay. But for this episode, I'm going to say I hate Ag the most and want to punch him. My first oh. reaction to him was to think of um, what was that TV show where one of the characters was a cartoonist and he drew this comic about a cow and when he drew the comic he wore a hand puppet on his hand because what? that was ha- is this Rocco's Modern Life? Like, no, like? this is like a live action. Um, it's, it's like an old TV show. I but do not remember. This. Oh, this, this sounds vaguely familiar. I I haven't seen it. I just know this because the cartoonist would like wear a cow puppet on his hand because he has to be like well that's how you draw comics John don't you <laughs> so like, land I've been doing it all this time <laughs> this is why you haven't like skyrocketed in your career is you forgot the hand puppet part but that was immediately yeah. who I thought of when this character shows up who's like doing the sound effects out loud and later on he's got like all these feathers stuck in and out of his skull so those are actually I encountered those while I was in Japan I went oh, yeah. on a uh, art shopping uh, art material shopping trip mm-hmm. based on this work and also Nozaki I really wanted to find those feather things, and it's it's a brush that you use to get rid of your eraser number yeah. scraps. Yeah. Oh, how genius! It's great, I and but he, I love his character where he has like twenty of them. Yeah. And he just kind of <laughs> sticks them in his shirt and pants and hair. Yeah. Whatever. I just assumed it was like a weird like method acting thing. He was drawing <laughs> the crow. I think it is a method acting thing, but if you go to Japan, they will sell you an okay. entire bird wing that they converted into a, oh, a broom. I, I desperately yeah. wanted to buy one, but I was afraid it would get crushed in my backpack. So he's basically the method actor of cartoonists. Yeah, so what I what I love about AG and a couple of the uh, characters that are introduced later on is that they start to bring in these characters which I feel are emblematic of the type of people you meet in the world of cartooning. So I think mm. we've met people who exhibit characteristics similar to AG, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, yeah. up to the, the punker guy later on and, you know, some of the assistants. There's just different, the different ways of approaching comics, different Mm. strengths and weaknesses, different personality yeah. types, and I like yeah. that all of these characters are represented. Yes, and this is this is for me when the series picked up was, and I, and I feel like this is getting into volume three though, but like yeah, the assistants and all the other stories, the other cartoonists and their approach to their manga, that is definitely when the series really started to pick up because it became about how do people make manga? How does this guy make manga versus how this guy makes manga versus how this guy makes manga? That to me was when I really got uh, interested in in Bakuman. So let's go into that in a bit more detail in in episode two. Yeah, uh, uh, should we talk about the the process of making comics? Yeah, because um, like that's the thing. Like I I don't know how realistic this story is compared to reality because I don't have, don't have a lot of context for the Japanese industry. But there are things that I really like about the way that the Japanese industry is portrayed here, and things that I really don't like. Um, Tell me. Okay, well, like a lot of this centers around the, the jump, like Shonen Jump Studios, and they have this editorial process, and you meet with an editor, and they look at your story, and then they might try it out in the magazine, and if it gets enough votes from readers, then they might turn it into a series. And on the one hand, I like that they have editors who are going out and kind of farming talent, like trying to help people get into the magazine in the first place. 
But on the other hand, there's a lot of kind of shady business with that, too, because none of these people are getting paid at this point. Yeah. So he's got these, like, middle school kids, and he's telling them, I want you to keep making stories for me. Don't take them to any other publishers. Keep bringing them just to me. I'm going to keep them in this envelope where you can't have them. Yeah. And basically, you just have to keep doing this for free until you do it good enough. Yeah. <clears throat> it's true, and it's weird. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's perfectly normal for that situation, but it's weird from our perspective where it's like, no, I'm going to put it online. And yeah. They're, they're, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this could be a webcomic already. Yeah. yeah. It, it's weird how <laughs> steep the cliff of entry seems to be, which may or may not be realistic. Mm. But I feel like if they had gone to, again, like taking back to this as the perspective of the creator of Death Notes getting mobbed by hordes of middle schoolers, if they had written a, well, you know, put it online, make a mini, go to a trade show, work very hard, they're like, no, I want to get into Jump. <laughs> Tell me how to get into Jump. That's yeah. really what I want to know. Yeah. Because maybe they've doled out that advice over okay. and over yeah. again. I, I yeah. think, I think this it's is... possible. I don't know. This is the route to take if you want your story to ultimately be made into an anime. Okay. Yes, so your girlfriend can be the voice actress and you <laughs> can finally get married. Yeah. <laughs> I guess if you want to know how to make comics without Shonen Jump, then go read that uh, comic that Spike Trotman did. Yeah. Oh, the one, uh, How to Be an Indie Creator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I don't know, this series is a really interesting insight into, like, that industry, because I definitely don't know very much about it, and it, it made, it, at least my impression of it was, like, and I don't know anything about, like, how TV or movies or anything works here, but it sort of, like, felt a little bit more structured that way, like, industry-wise, where it's, like, you make your pilot, and hopefully some people will, like, option it or whatever, and then maybe it'll get on this channel, and then what happens if, like, that expires? Can you move it to a different channel? Like, yeah. Um, and so, as a portrait of the industry, as it currently is, I appreciated it more than anything, even mm-hmm. though it does get a bit wordy and maybe... It feels like you're reading a book of graphs. For me, it was like, this is amazing. Like, oh. tell me exactly no, that, yeah, how this editorial like, process really works. Yeah, draws yeah. me in, and I think that's just, like, I have a very niche interest, and I love knowing, like, how comics work, and, like, the sort of nitty-gritty of the industry is, like, so fascinating to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I was really happy um, when in, in early on when they are going to Shonen Jump, and they have the discussion about finding a good editor. And they're like, well, if we meet this editor, I hope he's a good editor. And, like, you know, Shujin's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, my uncle. Psycho's like, we got to get a good editor. Like, my uncle told me, like, if you have, like, a bad editor, you end up with bad stories. You need an editor who's going to, like, make you make changes and tell you how to, like, improve your stuff the best. And speaking of someone who's been doing quite a bit of editing and, yeah, uh, getting mixed responses to that editing, positive and negative, uh... Like, I really appreciated that they stood up for editors and said, yeah, editors are important. It's good to have someone tell you to redraw a panel. It's good to have someone suggest new ways you could tell the exact same story so it can be more effective. Um, So I was really happy that they, you know, talked about this uh, idea that it's a process of development versus, like, I am an artist, and it just hit the paper perfect the first time, and how dare you suggest that I should ever compromise my baby here? Well, which is funny, because that's how Eiji tends to react. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> which is why everyone wants to punch him. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I do like about the Japanese industry that they have a shonen jump, that they have a magazine that comes out on a regular basis, they hire new creators on a regular basis, and they do new stories on a regular basis. The closest equivalent we have in North America is Marvel and DC, where they'll hire you to do Mm -hmm. stories, they'll hire you to do the art and the the writing, they'll hire new people on a regular basis, but you don't get to do your story. You have to do Captain America. You have to do Batman. I would say the closest equivalent we have is Tumblr. (laughs) (laughs) No, but Tumblr doesn't make any money. Yeah, Tumblr doesn't pay you. Fair enough, fair enough. um, And this is like... But you can start your career there. Not an industry, but like if any of you have taken a look at what uh, Brandon Graham and like Emma Rios are doing with Island Magazine, like that definitely seems to be like, you know, kind of... Because it has one-shots and it has longer stories and it's like these people's personal work being put mm-hmm. into this like anthology magazine yeah we, which, we need more stuff like that for yeah. sure i think that's what flight was meant to be originally too is the inspiration for the flight anthology edited by kazu kibuishi uh was that this was going to be the north american version of shonen jump 
It didn't end up looking anything like Shonen Jump, but it was a way for creators who wanted to do their own stories to get them published all together in one package. And it was a showcase mm-hmm. of top talent at the time, because all the top talent at the time were were focusing on these non-creator-owned properties. Hmm. So you had this talent locked into people working in animation on TV shows, people working in these other industries where their own voices did not get a chance to uh, exist. Yeah. Did any of you ever follow Paper Cutter? It was like a... It came out from, yes. I think, Tugboat Press. Oh, yeah. It was like, paper I Cutter was great. I love paper, paper Cutter, and like I'm still heartbroken that it doesn't run, but it was like... Um, small issues of about three creators, like short stories. Like I remember Julia Wirtz was in um, them. Mm. Joy Allison Sayers, who I love, like had some great stories in there. Like a whole bunch of people, but they were just like these little sort of like maybe digest sized yeah. comics coming I, out um, a couple times a year. I think I think press. I think I've got about five of them. I'll try to bring them yeah, for you guys to I'd see next like, time. I'd always pick them up at TCAF, but that was such a good. Yeah. anthology series and I was yeah. like maybe one day but then <laughs> I will say that anthology series in general are starting to pick up in the west where mm-hmm. we don't have an institution like Jump that is doing this on a regular basis but we do have a large number of really successful anthologies that are getting into issues through two or three of their work and what's great about them is that they can band together through a really specific idea that they want to present. Uh, so it's like they, they band together around a concept and are able to release an independent anthology around that concept. And I think that's been really growing as a concept here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's uh, there's an anthology in town that's just raised about <laughs> $40,000 recently. <laughs> Which, unfortunately, I think this episode is going to go up um, after Bones of the Coast. When does Bones of the Coast finish? Uh, it, it will it's, be it's finished by the time hours, this yeah. comes out. Okay. But I will but say thanks, thanks to everyone who backed Bones of the Coast. You guys uh-huh. are awesome. It features so all of us? Nope. Uh, no, not in it. I missed that. It features us. me. <laughs> <laughs> it features the, the horror writing people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I wrote a story, I just couldn't do it because I was busy. Yeah. Oh, oh, too good for the anthology, I see, no, John. I had to make a choice. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I'm teasing. And I Sorry. chose that I wanted to sleep more than three hours a night. <laughs> well, <laughs> then you do not belong in the world of Bakuman, yeah. let me tell you. I guess not. Yeah. No Shonen Jump for me. AG, AG is shaking his head <laughs> at you. No, AG's nice, he would never do that. <laughs> so, uh, the let's talk about our, let's summarize our first impressions of the first two chapters, like... Overall, when you finished Chapter 2, were you wanting to read more? Okay, I am going to say by the end of Chapter 2, I was kind of worried that I was not going to finish because I was not feeling motivated to continue uh, because it took so long to get into making manga and the romance, uh, gender politics stuff was really, really obnoxious. Um, I think I was able to kind of make peace with that just because I have that familiarity with the culture, but I definitely think uh, it picks up by Volume 3 and 4. I think that it actually gets markedly better in Volume 3 and 4. Persevere. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, End of Volume 2, I was on the ferry over to visit my parents, and my friend was with me, and I went, I don't don't know if I want to read more about these awful teens trying to make comics. This is not fun. (laughs) I think uh, by volume two, I was starting to get into it. I kind of took it as given that the teens were awful because they were awful teens, not because the (laughs) authors intended for us to look up to them. And there's a lot of moments that are just, like, really funny. or the And the art is fantastic. Yeah. We haven't even talked about the art yet. We'll have to mm. do that next episode. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to do this one thing here. There's a, It's in volume, the first volume. There's a point where the main character is talking about the qualifications for being a manga yes, artist. Yes, I was as really wanting to Described by that his up. uncle. So I'm just going to read these out. He uh, says, it's qualification- not described by his uncle. It comes from a... Sorry, not to, like... Um, correct you, but like it, you can see it comes from a, a book that was like in his uncle's... His uh, uncle adapted them? Oh yeah, it was, it was his uncle's version is the version that yeah. I liked. Yeah. This uh, book that has like five qualifications and then, what's his name, Morihito uh, has um, like his uncle's version. Oh, yeah. So his uncle's version is, the qualification number one is conceit. Seriously believe that you are better than others. <laughs> I guess if you don't have self-confidence, you're not going to do anything. Qualification number two, do your best. And uh, qualification number three is luck. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the truth. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, oh, right. So I guess I am the outlier in this one, but because I'm a huge manga nerd and I'm kind of used to the way that these books run, I'm used to diving into them, I was hooked 
from the end of episode one. So if you're a huge manga junkie, I think you'll find an easier time getting used to it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, should we do shoutouts? Yes. Okay. okay, so I guess I guess I'll start. I'm Jeff Ellis. Uh, you can find my work at jeff-ellis.ca. Just post a new page of Crossroads right now. You can check it out. Anyways, my single issue shout out is actually literally a single issue. It's the all new, all different Avengers annual number one, and it is the Miss Marvel fan fiction special. So the whole book is about Miss Marvel finding out that people have written fan fiction about her and reading the fan fiction. <laughs> and the fan fiction's done by uh, lots of awesome, more indie-type creators, including like a really great one of Miss Marvel versus Squirrel Girl by Faith Aaron Hicks. Oh, uh, and fun. it's just a lot of... It's just fun. And it's just like a one forty-eight page issue. Like, Just check it out. It's great. I'm Kay Gross, and you can find, I have a currently updating webcomic called Lunar Maladies at lunarmaladies.com. Um, it updates every Friday, or if you subscribe to my Patreon, you get 20 pages every other month. And I, my shout-out is, I was on a little mini-vacation recently, where I was staying in my friend's basement, drawing comics, and the basement was, like, lined with bookshelves full of manga, and I accidentally read 11 volumes of Full Metal Alchemist over two and a half days. <laughs> Whoops. But you couldn't read 11 volumes of Bakuman? Full <laughs> Alchemist? I avoided it for so long, because, um, you know, sometimes when things are popular with 12-year-olds, you're like, this is probably terrible. <laughs> but I was like, well, I'm on vacation, what else am I going to do? And it wound up being so good. Oh my god, I put all the other volumes on hold at the library when I got home. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm Jonathan Dalton. Uh, you can find my comic Phobos and Demos at phobos-comic.com almost has a full chapter up it's so so good apparently Uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) Uh, my shout out is not a comic this week Uh, the reason I finished reading Bakuman this morning is because I've been reading something else instead I've been reading 1493 by Charles Mann which is a history book uh, about what happened after Christopher Columbus and sort of the consequences of the movement of plants and animals and viruses across oceans. Hmm. Sounds like a real uplifting kind of um, tome. Uplifting, no. <laughs> but fascinating, yes. Okay. I've learned so mm. much. Good, good. Uh, my name is Angela Mellick. You can find my work at wastedtalent.ca and my mainstream shout-out is going to be for The Wicked and the Divine, which I'm still slowly working through the trades of that, but I'm enjoying it a lot. It's a really strange story about gods, and I'm still not 100% sure what's going on exactly, but I really don't like what's happening. <laughs> it's, it's my aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what's, uh, I guess next episode is going to be volumes three and four of Bakuman. More okay, Bakuman! Right. The Bakumanathon continues. Bakuman! 16. Um, okay. The Trade Waiters is presented by Cloudscape Comics. We'd like to thank the Vancouver Public Library for letting us record in their Inspiration Lab and Sleuth for the music. You can find us at www.cloudscapecomics.com or tradewaiters.tumblr.com or on iTunes or SoundCloud or a bunch of other places. Google Play. Google Play, yeah. Subscribe and write a review.